0: Good morning, and welcome to Mission View Church. Uh, my name is Andrew Boring. As I said earlier, I am the uh, pastor of student ministries here at Mission View. Uh, and I absolutely love Student Ministry Sunday. Uh, this has been so great, seeing so many of our, our youth involved in today's service. When you walk through the doors, uh, they were the ones who greeted you, right? You saw them at the welcome table. Uh, they were handing you your program when you walked in. And they were on stage reading scripture, praying talking about how God was working on our trips this summer. It has been such a blessing to see them all so involved. And uh, many of them are sitting right in front of here, uh, so you can see our youth group as well. Uh, and I love having them all together this morning and serving in this way, because usually so many of them are serving in children's ministry or behind a camera. Uh, but so many of them in, particularly are in children's ministry on Sunday mornings, so we don't always get to see how big our youth group is and, and see who they even are. So... This is our youth group. <laughs> um, today is a very special day. Um, obviously, Ignite has been talking about our trips and all this, these things. and In a little bit, we're going to have several baptisms, which is an amazing, amazing thing. But before we move into uh, our, our, the message for this morning, I just want to briefly uh, to inform you guys that uh, Ramazan, one of our missionaries in, from Turkey, um, he's currently in the United States right now. Uh, But his father just recently passed away, so uh, let's be praying for them. Unfortunately, they won't be able to return in time for the funeral, Um, but they are leaving this Tuesday, so let's uh, bow our heads in prayer for them right now. Father, uh, thank you so much for Student Ministry Sunday. Thank you for um, the blessing it is to gather together in church today. Um, We just want to lift up Ramazan and his family and... um, his family that's in the States, his family that's abroad in Turkey, Lord, that you would be with all of them, comfort them in this very difficult season. Um, A lot of things are going on in their lives and um, this is definitely something that is heavy on their hearts and I'm sure they're grieving over and is very sad. So I just pray that you would give them comfort, um, provide them with people around them to pour into them, give them safe travels going home as they go home this week as well. And I pray for uh, this service right now that you would just uh, open our eyes to what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you want to start turning in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16, that is where our text is this morning. Uh, we will be looking at the story of David being anointed as king of Israel. This story this morning is really about Samuel, Saul, and David. It's about all three, this intersection of all three of these men. The nation of Israel was living in the promised land without a king. And God was their direct ruler. And God would from time to time raise up a judge to rule over them and to deliver them from their enemies. And currently at this time, Samuel is the final judge in Israel. And he is the prophet that God is using to spiritually communicate to his people. But now, Israel desires a king, in order to be like the nations around them. And this is flaw number one, right? Don't desire to be like the nations around you. We should, be, we should desire to be more like Jesus, not more like our culture, not more like celebrities or anything that is around us. But Israel makes this mistake. And God allows for this to happen. In 1 Samuel 8:7, he says, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Saul King Saul becomes king. And Saul even looks like he should be a king. He's wealthy, he's tall, he's handsome. It says that he's the most handsome man in all of Israel. But just as the people who supported him did so by rejecting God, Saul also rejects God. He gets scared by the Philistines when they're about to go into battle against them. So he sacrifices a burnt offering rather than waiting for Samuel to do that. And Samuel was the one who was supposed to do that. And because of this sin, Saul loses his kingdom. His descendants will not rule on his throne after his time is over. So he will continue ruling, but his children will not rule on the throne because of this. But Saul isn't done. Later, he plunders an enemy's camp when God commanded him to destroy all of it. So rather than destroying it, he keeps some of the, the wealth of it. And because of this sin... Saul will lose his kingship. Saul is still currently ruling over Israel, but now he's not going to rule as long as he would have. God is raising up another to take his throne because the man on God's throne is not following the Lord. Saul will lose his kingdom and his kingship. And it really all came down to a lack of obedience. Saul knew what he was supposed to do. He knew how to lead but he chose another way of living and leading. And when we think of obedience, or, or lack thereof in this case, obedience is wrapped in love. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We see love and obedience go together, right? It is much easier to obey people that we love. Kids are supposed to obey their parents, and there's love in that relationship. Spouses are supposed to love each other and to listen to each other and what the other wants, and there is love in that relationship. It is much easier when love and obedience go hand in hand. The problem was that Saul did not love like he was supposed to love, so he did not obey like he was supposed to obey. God does not always use the wealthy people or the tall people, the beautiful people, skilled people, social people, he doesn't always use them. God desires the pure-hearted people. Whose we are matters way more than what we are. God desires the pure-hearted. This is the main thing that we see in our text this morning. God looks at the heart, not at the appearance. Right? God doesn't care what we're capable of doing on our own. He's God. He can do so much more than we could ever dream of. A heart that longs for God is more useful than calloused hands. What we do with our own ability doesn't impress him. What he wants is not a good appearance, a good front, or skills. He wants a pure heart. He wants us to love him and to be committed to him and to know him and to grow in relationship with him. A pure heart is better than a big head. And this is one of the points that we've been pushing this summer on our our trips with Ignite. God wants to use you for his kingdom. He wants to use all of us for his kingdom, and he can. Will you have the obedience and love to let him use you, to stay pure and devoted to him with a pure heart? Let's look back at our text this morning from 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, "Do you come peacefully?" And he said, "Peacefully, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with with me to the sacrifice." And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Fear can be crippling, right? It, It can put our obedience to the test. Fear can keep us from doing things that we are called to do. We recently just went through a series where we actually talked about fear. But what we see in these verses, these first five verses, is that fear should not stop us from obeying God. Fear should not stop us from obeying God. In this passage, God calls Samuel to do something that he is terrified to do. God has rejected Saul as king due to his disobedience, and Samuel is tasked with anointing the next king in Israel. But the only problem is that Saul is still ruling, right? If Saul finds out what what Samuel's about to do, that he's gonna go anoint the next king to replace Saul, Saul's gonna kill him. So what does Samuel do? He argues with God. He pushes back on what he is called to do. But as Christians, we never do that, right? right? When the Holy Spirit convicts us to get to know new people in our church or to have a hard conversation at work or to support a neighbor who is in need, but there's a personality difference and it's hard for us to, to, to care about them in the way that we're called to, we always say, yes, God, I am your guy, right? No, this is a daily battle for all of us. This isn't a Samuel thing. This is a human thing. We like our safe, comfortable lives. And praise God for the blessing that that is when we have it. But comfort is not the goal. Comfort is not what we strive for. We must be willing to sacrifice that comfort to do risky things. For Samuel, that's going to Bethlehem knowing that it could cost him his life. For us, it might be joining a community group or mending that friendship or relationship with a family member that's been strained for years. It's whatever the Spirit is moving inside of your chest, calling you to do. When God calls you to move, move. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear should not stop us, from obeying God. God's love for us shows us that we are not alone, that He is with us. We do not need to fear because He is with us. The adventures that Ignite did in West Virginia were fun but terrifying. We heard some testimonies about, about our trips this summer and they were truly incredible. I think the highlight for everybody was uh, two of our students on those trips came to Christ on those trips. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing, and actually both of, them, both of them are getting baptized later today, so it is so, so, so exciting, and it's been amazing. But our West Virginia trip was both fun and terrifying. I think that's probably fair to say. Everyone's <laughs> up front is nodding their head. Many of, many of our students were most scared of rappelling, uh, you know, where you jump off a cliff, kind of, you go over the edge and lower yourself down, but it feels just as scary as jumping off a cliff, right? We know that we're safe, but we're dangling. At one point, you couldn't even touch anything around you when we were repelling. You're just, it was a free fall, totally relying on the harness to hold you. And what a great way to talk about God's, our faith in God and God's love for us than whenever you can compare it to a harness. But the thing that we did that scared me the most wasn't actually repelling. It was the high ropes course. Some, they're laughing at me. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, the high ropes course was the one thing that we were doing on that trip that I thought would be easy. I knew a lot of these things would be difficult. That one, I was thinking, man, whatever day I'm doing the high ropes course, at least I know that will be an easy day. At least I know like, I can get through that. It'll be fun, but like whew, not, not too stressful, not too hard. Uh, but we were about 40 feet up in the air. And on the outside, I looked pretty calm and collected. I was partnered with a student for the course, and I was all smiley and encouraging and willing to go on any course that that he wanted for this this high ropes course. But on the inside, I was freaking out, right? I was convinced I was going to fall and die, and I really did not expect this at all. Uh, But eventually, I started showing my fear more and more, and at the end of each obstacle, the the whole course is held up by these big wooden poles. And at the end of each obstacle, I went to that pole and I gave it a big hug. And I called up my tree, and I was just like, let's get across this course. I'll hold on to my harness, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, But I was getting across as fast as I could, hugging my tree, right? Because I was very scared. There were a few times I lost my footing and fell, and our students did as well. But the harness caught us each and every time. I could have let fear stop me from doing the course. I could have. I could have just sat down and not did it. But we can't let fear stop us from doing what God has called us to do. It's one thing when it's a high ropes course. It's one thing when we can see the harness that has us. When we know that we are safe, that if we fall, that nothing will happen to us, even if we don't feel safe. It's another when it's our finances, our comfort, our lifestyle. It's another when God calls us to give up more of our time to serve in a particular ministry to stop making excuses that we have to get our lives together first before God can use us. When God calls us to do something and we fall, he is the harness that has us. We might not feel safe, but we are. That doesn't mean that everything is going to go the perfect way that we would like, but it does mean that God is always with us through it all. I wasn't left hanging in my fear. And Samuel wasn't left hanging in his fear either. God tells him to hide what he is doing as a sacrifice so that Saul doesn't find out about it. God was with him, and Samuel obeyed God. Fear should not control us. Love for Christ should. God has called each of us to something. We may have different callings, but they are all needed for the building up of the church. For some of us, that might be raising our kids up to know and love God. For some of us, that might be uh, being a light in an office at work where gossip is always occurring. For others, it's, it's serving at Mission View in a, in a ministry or in North Canton or beyond. And it's most likely that it's a combination of many of those things. But Samuel had to overcome his fear in order to trust God and be obedient to him. We need to do the same. Fear should not stop us from obeying God. Let's continue in our passage this morning in verse 6. When they came, he, took, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What we see here is that God chooses the least likely to point to the most holy. Right? God chooses the least likely to point to the most holy. Samuel shows up, and he sees Eliab, this big, strong guy. He looks like a picturesque king. Surely this is who God will call to be the next king of Israel. And this is what Samuel thought, Right? He's supposed to be the guy with a tight relationship with God. He's the prophet who speaks from God to the people. And what does Samuel do? He looks at appearances. He's making judgments based on what people look like, if they look like they're a leader, if they can do something. You may remember this, but a few years ago, there was a woman on Britain's Got Talent who tried out for singing. She was a middle-aged woman and didn't portray the image of a superstar. And when she stepped on that stage, the whole crowd started laughing at her. They assumed that she'd be terrible based on her appearance. But this woman, Susan Boyle, could sing. And when she started singing, every jaw dropped. Right. This is the same type of judgment that Samuel makes. He's thinking, let's choose the perfect guy who looks really confident, and let's follow him, right? Like, he looks like a leader. He must be the leader. The problem is, God is not in the business of building up prideful men. He doesn't often take those who think they have it all together, who think they're invincible, who think they're incredible, and then give them more power. God is in the business of taking the lowly, taking the overlooked, those who sometimes feel like they mess up, who feel like they are unworthy, and he elevates them. Because when we see the perfect guy thrive, everybody thinks he did it on his own. But when we see the person who's constantly overlooked, when we see them thrive, everybody knows it's God working through them. You see, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. You, right now, are able to serve God. How? Because in verse 7, it says that it's not about our abilities, but it's about our heart. Verse 7 said, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, talking about Eliab, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This culture gave precedent to the oldest male." He gets the largest inheritance. He's the expected leader, but not this time. David is the youngest son of Jesse, and all of his older brothers pass before Samuel. And each time, God tells Samuel, nope, not this one. To show how much Jesse didn't think that David would be the chosen one for this to be king, and just how unfit he thought he was for king, David isn't even there. And Jesse doesn't even tell Samuel that David exists until Samuel asks if he has any more sons. But David is the guy. The text said that he is ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But that had nothing to do with him being selected. The only reason that it was David and not Eliab is because God looks at the heart, not at the appearance. The most important qualification that we must have to lead others is a pure heart. The most important thing that we need to be able to do to serve God is not be strong, not have all the desired skills, not know all of the right stuff. It's to have a heart that longs for God, that seeks Him, that wants to know Him more, and to serve Him. In Ignite, we took 31 students to Manchester, Kentucky in July. Our students ranged from 6th graders through people who were going into their sophomore year of college. So roughly 12-year-olds to 19-year-olds. And the range of experience was uh, just as broad. At our construction site, some of our students have actually had paid construction jobs before. Others have never held a drill or cut a saw. But all of our students grew. Many grew in their skills. Right, being able to make correct measurements, install a board, put all of our students grew in community. And conflicts, conflicts can easily arise when some students know what they're doing, you know, they, they know how to do all the construction, and other students don't know what they're doing. But rather than getting angry, our students were patient and worked with each other and taught one another how to do the job. They showed each other the love of Christ as they were serving. So our group could have easily accomplished very little if we fought and didn't work together. And that would have been very disappointing. But it would have been possible given how inexperienced we were, how young we were. But God chooses the least likely to point to the most holy. If we were all contractors building these tables, these decks, then you would expect us to get the job done fast, and well, and it to be perfect. But when we're young, inexperienced teenagers, and we succeed in our efforts, we know that it's God. God chooses the least likely to point to the most holy. A verse that our students have studied a lot this summer and memorized is 1 Timothy 4.12. And it says this, it says, Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul is writing this to a young leader named Timothy. He's encouraging him and reminding him that even though he is young, that God can use him. This verse shows us that even though we might feel inadequate, that we might feel like we can't be used, that God can use us. Because God chooses the least likely to point to the most holy. He cares way more about your heart for him. And God wants to use all of us, right? No matter where you are in life, what you think you're good at, what your giftedness is, no matter what your age is, what your interests are, if you like paths or handles, it doesn't matter. God can use all of us. Just desires us to have that pure heart. All he requires is love and obedience. To him, God doesn't work the same way that we do. We look at appearances and choose the best zucchini on the shelf. We look at natural ability and giftedness when we choose which contractor to hire or what team we think will win. But God doesn't care about what we can accomplish on our own. He's more interested in our relationship with him. Are you willing to give your best effort and serve him? Are you, or are you still making excuses? Are you willing to acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses, your successes and failures, and keep pressing forward for Christ, like Samuel did in this chapter? Or are you living in your comfortable box so that no one will see you make a mistake? God can use you, and he wants to. He looks at the heart, not at the appearance. And that means we don't have to have it all together serve him. Even when we think of Jesus, all visible signs pointed to him being a normal baby after he was born, right? He had normal parents. He was born in a normal town. He was raised in a town that was known for anything but being holy. Yet with Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, God chose the most normal, visible, external circumstances and made them point to God. When Jesus entered the world to save sinners, he didn't come as this mighty being. He humbled himself and came as a human, a fragile, delicate baby. The only reason our hearts can be pure, that we can be forgiven and can be reconciled to God and have this relationship with him is because of what this unassuming baby did and who he is. It's only through his blood shed on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, that we can confidently stand before him and serve him. And we praise him for that. It's because of his death and resurrection that we can confidently serve him without having it all together. It's what he did for us on the cross, in our place, for us, so that we can be forgiven and and one day raised to life with him and be with him for all eternity. And it's by putting our faith in his love displayed on the cross for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much uh, for Student Ministry Sunday. The blessing that it is to see so many young faces on this stage who are scared or nervous, uh, but have that heart that just wants to serve you, that wants to know you more, Lord. I pray that you would help all of us to have that. That we would all long to know you more and more. That we would all stop making excuses for why we can't serve you. Because we don't have to have certain skills, Lord. We just have to be willing. Have to take that that chance. You've done a work in all of our hearts, Lord. We thank you for the cross and what you've done for us. and uh, We're really excited about the baptisms that are about to take place in just a couple minutes, Lord. But thank you um, for your love for us. Help us to serve you more and more. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.